0: Welcome to The Cross Church. We're excited to bring you these weekly messages. Find out more about us or contribute online at thecross.com. Thanks for listening. Hey, Faith Family Friends. This is Pastor Chris, and we're going to wrap up a message series we've been in entitled Big Words from Little Guys. hope you've enjoyed it. Uh, We've been studying some of the minor prophets. And you may recall that very first week as we talked about the the life of a man named Jonah, who many of you may be familiar with. And he was on the run from God, and he uh, was supposed to go preach at this great city called Nineveh, uh, a city that's in modern-day uh, Iraq. And uh, he got there, and he, didn't, he, he went on the run. He didn't want to do it. God told him to go one direction. He went another direction. And uh, we talked about that week that we don't leap into destruction, we drift, and about how... You know, we ought to catch our lives in the middle of the drift and turn around and pursue what God's called us to do just as soon as we possibly can and as soon as we know that we're in error. And then we talked about Haggai, and uh, Haggai reminded us that we've got to do the hard right over the easy wrong thing. And man, in the world in which we live today, it's more and more are being challenged just in the most basic uh, elements of faith. Uh, And I would just tell you, be in prayer for our nation, particularly in these next days. Uh, because there's just some legislation uh, that you, we're going to see make uh, news here very quickly that's going to have great ramifications for people of faith, particularly with the respect to gender and with respect to marriage and how that can Im- impact churches and other nonprofits that that hold to Christian values. And uh, man, in the culture in which we live, we got to do the hard right thing. And then we last week, we talked about Malachi, and uh, Malachi... Uh, just reminds us that, man, God demands to be kept first and that money in particular uh, is not ever about finances, but it's about faith. And as you and I think about what's coming and where we are today with respect to recession and inflation, man, we've got to have God work in our finances. And the way to be re- recession-proof is to do things His way. And so this final week, as we as we find ourselves here in the week of Thanksgiving, and I hope and pray That for you, your family, your friends, whatever that looks like for you, you have just the most blessed of all weeks this week. That you and I are able to just simply rejoice in the goodness of God. And we're going to today look at uh, one uh, one little verse, we'll read about seven, we're going to look at one little verse in the book of Nahum chapter one. And as you make your way to the book of Nahum chapter one, did you know this, that smiling is one of the most beneficial things that you can do. Did you know that? Even from a health perspective, that smiling, uh, people who smile, studies show, uh, they live longer. So if you smile a lot, uh, it's going to increase your lifespan. Uh, Did you know this? That whenever you smile, it actually releases uh, hormones that cause you to alleviate stress within your body. In fact, it it takes more energy for your body to actually frown than it does to smile. Uh, It also, here's the thing, just by simply smiling, it enhances your mood because it releases within your body dopamine and serotonin, which are uh, mood enhancers. Did you know this? It also, when you smile, uh, whenever you grin, it stimulates your immune system, keeps you healthier, and, and here's an added bonus, it lowers your blood pressure. And, you know, sometimes it's hard to find things to smile about. That was really the case of the people of God here in this place called Israel, specifically in this city of Jerusalem, uh, back back uh, some 2,500 years ago. Just a little background. You know, the book of Nahum, uh, as we're going to talk about an attitude of gratitude today, is anything but a gr- book that you would think, well, what? where's the silver lining in this? Because the book of Nahum is a book about judgment. In fact, um, the the nation of Assyria uh, is once again. This is let me just give you a little setting. This is about a hundred years after Jonah. Nahum is, and the the, the Assyrian Empire uh, is just a is is just they're, they're a horrible group of people that terrorizes all their neighbors. In fact, they were they were pagans. Their 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 capital city that was there in Iraq. This place called Nineveh, which the story of Nahum is going to be about. Um, it was it was a grand city. It was the center of art and culture. Um, it had walls that were so thick that literally you could ride three chariots across the wall, the top of the walls of the city. and the and the city gates, they were they were fortified, and they went about eight to ten miles in in circumference. I mean this was a huge, impenetrable city. And in the springtime, uh, these, these Assyrians would, would go and declare war on their neighbors. In fact, they ravaged the Middle East, and they were savage. In fact, every man was constricted, conscripted to be in the military, and they served in three-year rotations. And so the first year, they would build roads and bridges and infrastructure, and they would do this as, as, as a group of men together. And then that group was sent into war. And they were sent to go battle and raid their neighbors. And then the, the, th- the third year, they were able to go live at home and kind of build life and that kind of thing. But then that cycle repeated. So these were hardened soldiers. They had seen battle. They had seen all kind of atrocity and they were known for their atrocities. In fact, the Assyrians would actually write tablets that they left uh, in, in history to basically document just how graphic they were. Uh, they used to do things like skin their victims alive, and they would blind them, and then they would actually take some of those skins and just lay human skins on the walls of, of conquered cities. Um, they, w- they would burn children. They would burn girls. They would behead people, and they would create just mounds of, of, of skulls at the at the entry point of city gates. In fact, when they would roll into a city, they would usually send an envoy, and, and one of the envoys would say this, Make peace with me and come out to me. And and if they did, then they would they, they they would be okay. The people would be spared. But if not, they would say this, if not, you will have to eat your own excrement and drink your own urine. I mean, these people were savage. They were also at the they were also incredibly technologically advanced because they actually were the civilization that invented the battering ram. So they would come up to a, a city gate, they had this large tree that they had placed they had forged steel and they would use that to to knock down the gates of a city it seems pretty rudimentary today but it was it was the cutting edge back then and at this particular time in history the Assyrians are incredibly strong they conquered Israel in 721 BC and Nahum is preaching in 660 BC Nineveh is going to be destroyed in 612 in fact Nineveh today the you can't even find the ruins it's it's Over in Iraq, uh, near uh, one of its prominent cities today, there's some markers. But the city that once was so grand, God will level. God is going to send Nahum to, to preach destruction, to preach repentance to the city, just like he wanted Jonah to. Jonah, in his day, the people did repent. In Nahum's day, they're not. But in the midst of that, the people of Israel are suffering. And maybe some of you are suffering. Maybe as we come into Thanksgiving, it's really hard to be thankful for much, if not anything. And I want to draw your attention today that we have so many great things to be thankful for. In fact, it's imperative that we have an attitude of gratitude. Say it with me, that we have an attitude of gratitude. You see, during this Thanksgiving season, you and I have much, many things that we can smile about, things that we can be grateful for, even in the midst of what may be in your life right now some very difficult circumstances. Pick it up in verse 1 here when it says this, an oracle concerning Nineveh, the book of the vision of Nahum of Ilkosh. Let me say this about Nahum. We don't know anything about him. In fact, there's very little said. We know nothing about his background. Uh, we don't know anything about where he was raised. Um, he, he just appears within the minor prophets, really. And in verse 2 it says this, the Lord is jealous and an avenging God The Lord is venging and wrathful. The Lord takes vengeance on His adversaries and keeps wrath for His enemies. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power, and the Lord will by no means clear the guilty. His way is in the whirlwind and storm, and the clouds are the dust of His feet. He rebukes the sea and makes it dry. He dries up all the rivers. Uh, Bashan and the Carmel wither, the bloom of, of Lebanon withers. The mountains quake before him and hills melt, the earth heaves before him, the world and all who dwell with it. Who can stand before his indignation? Who can endure the heat of his anger? His wrath is poured out like fire, and the rocks are broken into pieces by him. You see, he's speaking to this nation of the Assyrians, he's speaking to this city of Nineveh. He recognizes the great injustices and the atrocities they've created. And here's what you understand. God's always going to deal with evil. Like God is ultimately going to right all wrongs. Make no mistake about it. No one gets away with it. And the bad part about that is neither do you or I, right? No one gets away with it. And and he says these words, and then right behind that in verse 7, he gives a word of comfort to his people, people who have been oppressed, people who have experienced these kind of trauma, these kind of uh, in, uh, these kind of sins that have been waged against them. And he says in verse 7, these great words, the Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble. He knows those who take refuge in him. So short, I just want to read it one more time. The Lord is good, a strong tower in the day of trouble. He knows those who take refuge in him. You see, you and I have to have an attitude of gratitude. Say with well, we got to have an Attitude of gratitude, and you and I can smile today. Why we can have this attitude of gratitude because God is good. He says right here, "The Lord is good." You see, Nahum's writing these verses 2,700 years ago, and in that time, these people were experiencing, his people were experiencing, God's people were experiencing all the oppressiveness of the Assyrians, and they had caused unnecessary death, unnecessary pain. And in the midst of all of that, Nahum the prophet, he says to his people, God is good. You know, the prophet knew this, that the nature of God is always good. Like, the character of God is always good. You can count on the goodness of God. He always acts rightly. He always acts justly. Uh, it's who he is. In fact, you may recall back in the, in the garden there, Uh, When the serpent tried to tempt Eve, when the devil came in, and the very first thing he did was he tried to speak to uh, the goodness of God. He tried to get Eve to think that God perhaps wasn't very good. In Genesis chapter 3, it says this, Now the serpent was more crafty than the other beasts of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? You see, Satan was just automatically, the very first thing he wants to do is assassinate the goodness of God to Eve. And you know, that's what he does to you and I as well. God, the enemy always tries to make us think that God's holding out on us, that he's not really good. God, where were you in the midst of all of that? You know, it is amazing though that sometimes people let us down. You know, I remember one time in my life, my dad, my dad was such a good man. I love my daddy. Uh, I miss my daddy during these holiday seasons, especially. I just miss my daddy a lot. Uh, but my daddy, I remember one time he he made me a promise, um, or he, he played, whatever you want to call it. I felt pretty confident he was going to buy me a scooter uh, when I was 15. I really wanted the scooter, wanted to drive it to high school. I don't know why. I've always had a thing for scooters. If you know me now, I have a, I have a moped, and uh, I really like my moped. But anyway, dad was going to get me one. And uh, some things happened, and, and, and he didn't, and he couldn't. And I remember just kind of thinking, man, I'm just, I just, I, I was kind of disappointed by that. I was like, man, I just felt like my dad let me down. And then, you know, I just realized something after that. Uh, I got really convicted about something. I just remember how good my dad was in so many other ways. I just remember thinking to myself, you know, my dad, he always has an encouraging word for me. You know, my dad, he always has such great hugs for me. You know, my dad, um, he's at everything I do to support me. You know, my dad, um, I never have had to wonder if if my dad has affection or love for me. You know, my dad has always taken care of my needs and most of my wants. This one thing didn't happen the way I'd kind of hoped it would. And here's the thing about it. That's really true for you. There are going to be some reasons. In fact, honestly, looking back on that, probably... (laughs) Probably my dad was smart enough not to give me that because I don't know that I'd be talking right now. I probably would have killed myself to be honest with you. And 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 sometimes our fathers, right? They just they maybe they, they didn't do exactly what we wanted. Maybe our maybe somebody let us down, but but I can be grateful for what my dad did do for me. And think about your life. What all has God done for you so many times? We just we just think about the the negative in our life. You know, it reminds me in Proverbs 27, 13, King David said these words. He said, I would have despaired unless I believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. You know, so many times uh, people think that maybe King David just sort of had it easy. I mean, he was, you know, he killed Goliath and he becomes the king of Israel. But don't you realize that King David, I mean, life was not always easy for King David. I mean, you think about this. Um, he has a son named Absalom who wants to kill him. And ultimately, David has to leave his kingdom, has to leave his throne, because Absalom's put together a coup of people who are literally going to try to come kill his own dad. I mean, I don't know how bad it's been for you, but I mean, so far, my son had not tried to kill me, so it's, it's, you know, it's a pretty good day, I guess, right? And he's bigger than me, too. But, but Absalom was going to try to kill him. In fact, then Absalom's killed in the battle with his dad, now he's lost his son. He's mourned his son. You know, he had uh, uh, some other family problems, a lot of family issues. I mean, David made some poor choices along the way. And man, you know, God was gracious to forgiving whenever he repented. And, and, and sometimes we just sort of think, well, everybody else has it easier than me. You know, this person has it easier. David knew this, that he, 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 it was necessary for him to realize that, and he says it, I would have despaired Unless I had believed, I would have seen God, the goodness of God working for me. Don't you understand? When you see the goodness of God working for you, things change. Proverbs twenty seven fourteen, right behind thirteen, says this: Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Let your hearts take courage. Wait for the Lord. So, for some of you, you find yourself in the midst of this situation. You're just like, I just don't know how this is going to be going to end. I don't know how this relational issue is going to be fixed. I don't know how my financial needs going to be handled. I, I don't know what my future looks like by way of employment or I, whatever that is. And you, and you and you find yourself thinking, God, are you good? Like, God, are you are you really in this? And let me just suggest this to you. You see, he says, I would have despaired unless I believed I'd seen the goodness of God in the land of the living. And the key to seeing the goodness of God in the land of the living is this. Sometimes you gotta wait. Sometimes you have to wait on the Lord. He says, wait on the Lord, be strong, let your heart take courage. And then he says at the end, wait on the Lord. Man, that is so hard, isn't it? Because I'll tell you something. There's nothing worse than the waiting room, right? The waiting room is a hard place to be. But sometimes we think about wait, just meaning to do nothing. I would submit to you that that word "their wait" is actually an active verb. It's an active word that actually says this: it's 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 doing something while I wait. You know, I uh, uh, I've I've known people who've been waiters and waitresses. In fact, a lot of people do waitressing or waitering whenever they maybe they're in college or maybe when they find themselves in between jobs. I've only known one person who I've ever known. I didn't know her, just had the experience of having her be my waitress one night uh, at a place in Chicago called Harry Carey's. If you ever go to Chicago, I highly recommend it. Anyway, go to Harry Carey's, I'm having dinner, and this lady walks up, and I mean, she was such a great waitress. She's, she's dressed in, you know, a white jacket, and I mean, she was, you know, may I help you, and I mean, she had her the, the towel draped over her arm, just as you should, and she's, every time, you know, a crumb would drop, she'd come with that little thing, and she'd, take the crumbs and she'd scoop them up and she was so attentive and I and I looked at her and I said you are such an incredible waiter Um, what do you want to do Uh, like you know after this and she looked at me kind of indignant and she goes sir she goes my I went to school I have trained to be a professional waiter and I want to serve. I want people when they leave my presence to have had the greatest experience they've ever had uh, in a restaurant. I was like, that is absolutely fantastic. But here's the thing: most people, man, if they're working at the Cracker Barrel, you know, they're working at Red Lobster, they're working wherever they're working. That is not their goal. They are there because they're waiting for something else to happen. And here's what I would say to you: if you find yourself in that place of despair, you find yourself kind of beaten down. You find yourself in a struggle. Can I just encourage you to do this? You should go wait. And as you wait, you should go serve somebody. But as I promise you, when you serve somebody, two things are happening. One, you begin to realize you still have something to give. And secondly, you you bless somebody. And let me tell you something. God uses that in you. Sometimes you and I have to just wait for the goodness of God to catch up to where we are. Because, hey, this is a broken world. This is a tough place at times. But don't you understand something? God is the one who holds it all together. And when you believe that God's goodness is working for you, let me tell you something. You pray bigger. You just believe as you're praying that God's goodness is working for you. You're, you, you will embrace bigger opportunities. You will take greater risk. Why? Because you know the goodness of God is, is working in you. Why should we have an attitude of gratitude, even when the enemy surrounds us, even when we feel like, man, we we are to despair? Why do we do that? Because God is good. See, we can have an attitude of gratitude. Why? Because God is good. But look at this. It's also because God is strong. It says in that text, uh, he's a stronghold in the day of trouble. You know, a stronghold was a well-built, well-fortified, well-guarded um, castle on a huge hill, and it was usually surrounded uh, back in antiquity by maybe a, a, a man-made body of water, it could be a moat, or perhaps there was a a natural border, or it was up on a high hill, a mountain of sorts, so that even the the topography made it difficult to get to, and the discri- the the, the the text describes God like that, that God is our place of survival. See, He's our stronghold. He's our strong tower. He's who we run into in the day of trouble. When I think about this, I often think about, uh, I had the opportunity to go to Edinburgh Castle uh, there in Scotland a number of years ago. In fact, it was one of, it was one of Queen Elizabeth's favorite places to hang out in the summer because the Scottish games were there. And uh, if you've ever if you ever get a chance to go to Edinburgh, you you have to go see this because it's just incredible, and it's just built up on this hill. And I mean, it's everything you would think about about an ancient strong tower, a fortress. And I, and I remember that the day I happened to be there, actually, the Queen actually drove by in her limousine. It was pretty awesome just to see. Here's this this Queen who literally was in this castle, and uh, you could just see how it would have been so hard for invaders to ever have attacked her. Uh, and, and I say that to you because, you know, on, on some levels, though, we live in Texas. And here in Texas, the one thing that we know that we get every now and then is we get these things called tornadoes. And tornadoes are usually really bad. And I've noticed this, that when, when I was growing up, there were some people that in my town, they had cellars. And so you would go, it was built usually outside of the house. You go out in the backyard. You'd open up this hatch, this door. And down on the ground, they had built basically this concrete bunker To protect you from the storm but then there's others i've seen i've seen these at home depot now that there are these basically these safe rooms these tornado-proof shelters that you can have installed into your home where you and your family can actually gather and it can handle up to so many you know miles per hour wind and all this kind of stuff this image right here speaks to the fact that whenever you and i find ourselves in the day of distress in the time of need, that we are to run into our safe place, the place of survival, the strong tower of God himself. And I I love how God is so practical because here's the thing about it. I I don't have to be strong for all the storms that go and rage in my life. Like I don't have to be man enough. I don't have to be big enough to handle all this. Neither do you. You don't have to be smart enough. You don't have to, you just have to know where to go. You just have to know where to go take shelter. You just need to go who to hide in. And so many times we hide in so many different places, don't we? So many times we run to different people, or we run to this place, and we try to cope in a different way, and it doesn't meet our need. In fact, in the book of Proverbs 18.10, it says this. Listen to this. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it, and it's safe. In fact, this strong tower—I mean, of who God is—is is, it 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 is found in His name. You know, I'm I'm just one person. Uh, my name is Chris, uh, but my, being one person, Chris, I kind of have different roles. I'm I'm am a husband. I'm a father. I'm a pastor. I'm a brother. I'm a son. I'm all these different things, but I'm one name. And those one those those different names who describe this one person speak to different facets and different relationships I have with different people. In the same way. All throughout Scripture, there are these different names for God. Like one of the names for God is this. It's El Shaddai, and the word El Shaddai, there, his name. It means he'll do what he wants to do. And sometimes we've got to be running to the tower and just be reminded that he is sovereign. He's going to do what he wants to do. Sometimes he's Adonai, and Adonai means he is the master. And we've got to be reminded that, I mean, he is in charge. Sometimes he's Yahweh, and that means Lord and it means that he has the ability to get done what he wants to get done. Sometimes he is Jehovah Nisi. Jehovah Nisi literally means this, the Lord is my banner. Uh, it means this, that when we go into life, that we have this banner before us, Jehovah Nissi, that God is my victory. I'm not the one who brings my victory. God is the one who brings my victory. He's Jehovah Roth, which means this, he's, the, he's my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. It means he leads me, he guides me. I'm not without purpose, I'm with direction. Sometimes he is Jehovah Rapha, and Jehovah Rapha means he's the God who heals, and so he can heal your body, he can heal your mind, he can heal your relationships, he's the one who heals. Sometimes he's Jehovah Jireh, and it's whenever you have a need, and it means this, the Lord will provide. I don't know what you need today, friend, but God will give it to you. Sometimes he is Jehovah Shalom. And it just means that in Him, we find peace. He is our peace. You see, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. Friend, as you and I practice an attitude of gratitude, what is the name that you claim in this season? See, why can we have an attitude of gratitude? Why can we smile even in the midst of hardship, heartache, and maybe loss or disappointment? Uh, Because one, God is good. The other, because God is strong. But here's the other, because God is personal. He is personal because it says the text says this, he knows those who take refuge in him. Man, I want you to understand something. You're not just a, a face on planet earth. You're not just a number in the cosmos. You are personally known by Creator God. And he and, and, and the, the beautiful part about him knowing us is that he has compassion upon us personally. He knows your individual needs. He knows my individual needs. That's why his mercies are new every day. You know, I don't know about you, though. I don't like going to the doctor. Uh, This is an ongoing theme in my life. I especially hate going to the dentist. Uh, But I I finally broke down. I went to the doctor. Some of you know, over the last few weeks, I had an MRI. And it was because I had flipped my bike, and I had a shoulder issue. In fact, still got a little shoulder issue. It's just what it is. Um, Hurts a little bit. And here's why it hurts. Because I went to the doctor. I got this MRI. And when the MRI came back, the doctor told me this. He said, well, Mr. Seegers, he said, you actually cracked your your socket of your your shoulder. It actually fractured. And because you didn't come to me sooner, you didn't immobilize that arm so that that arm could heal properly. So now what's happened is it has not healed back correctly. And uh, he goes, I don't recommend surgery right now. You may need it one day, but, you know, let's try to... See if we can do some other things and, and not have to do that. He goes, but basically you should have gotten to me sooner. You know why some of us are still in pain? Because we've not gotten to him sooner. Because we've we we've been maybe maybe shame has kept us from God. Maybe guilt has kept us from God. I don't know what it is that has caused the difference, but I know this: the enemy always wants you uh, to be separated from him, and and he'll he'll do whatever he can. He'll keep you busy. Right, he'll keep you feeling ashamed. He'll keep, he'll keep you feeling guilty. He'll keep, he'll keep you feeling he'll 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 anesthetize your problems. Some of us, instead of going to God, we've we've gone to substances. We've gone to other people. And and the thing about it is this, he says he knows those who take refuge in him. You know, Psalm twenty three says this. You've you've probably heard this. He says, "The Lord is my shepherd; I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures." He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. You understand that God wants to meet your spiritual needs? And God can because He knows what those needs are. It, 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 continuing in verse 4, it says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. If you're with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You know what? God doesn't just meet your spiritual needs. He meets your emotional needs. You don't have to fear. You don't have to be afraid of what's going to happen in the future. Why? Because um, He's with you. His rod, His staff, they protect you. You see, He's a personal God. Uh, Verse 5, And you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. You know, uh, do you realize that for sheep, one of the greatest things that actually kill them are nose flies? The reason they would pour oil on the head of a sheep is that it would coat the nasal passages so these nose flies wouldn't go up into the large nasal cavities of the sheep. There were sheep who literally would run run into rocks, dash their heads against cliffs. They would basically commit suicide. Why? Because they were driven crazy by these flies that would that would breed in their no, in their nasal cavity. But the shepherd he 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 puts this oil on them to do what? To comfort them. Do you realize he will take care of your physical needs? Like that's the thing. The shepherd actually touches the sheep. He gets intimate with them because he knows them. And friend, that's the kind of God you have. And then there's that beautiful assurance that surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You see, you and I should have an attitude of gratitude. And so many times we focus on what we don't have. We, we fail to remember all that we do have because God is good. He is a strong tower and he knows those who take refuge in him. Friend, I hope and pray that you know this Jesus. If you don't, please reach out to us. We want you to know Jesus. For those of you who know Jesus, could you just take a moment? Let's do this. Let's take just a moment. I want you just to bow your heads and I want you just to to thank God for what he's done for you. Just bow your heads for a moment, just very quietly. And I want you just for a moment to name two, three things, just quietly to yourself, what are the two or three things that you can thank God for today? Lord Jesus, as we just pause upon this Thanksgiving week, we just want to have an attitude of gratitude. Lord, some things in the world may be beyond our control, but we are so grateful that we know you. Thank you that you are good to us, that your character is always good, that whenever we believe you're good, we can believe that you're working good things into the circumstances of our lives, that God, you're you're a strong tower. We don't have to be strong. We just have to run into you and that, uh, that you are also personal because you care about us. You care about those who take refuge in you. Lord, might we experience that both personally, might we be able to share that with others corporately. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, God bless you. Happy Thanksgiving.